0: Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Your favorite church unity podcast. Probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between. Right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right,
1: right, yeah. Uh, Have we got the podcast for you? All
0: right, everybody. Welcome again to the Whole Church Podcast. I am your co host, Joshua Knoll. Um, Here's your other co host, Tiberius Juan, as portrayed by Matthew Knoll. As in, not Tiberius Juan, but Matthew. Hello, how are you guys? Um, yeah, uh, Matt's been on the podcast before, a long time ago. Uh, I want to say it's like episode five or something. <laughs> Dude, it was way back when. Probably about a year ago, right, Matt?
1: Uh, yeah, I think maybe.
0: Yeah, something, something like that. Um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've recorded without TJ in the same room, so that's kind of weird. And it's been even longer since TJ wasn't a part of the podcast, so all the way back before. Episode 10, so about, so about a year. So it, it's, it's interesting trying to do this without him. However, uh, this is our coronavirus updates, I guess. Uh, he's just unable to record right now. Um, they don't have great signal, and there's a lot of noise in his house from everyone kind of being cooped up in one home and being isolated and whatnot. Uh, he's staying safe, so that's good. That's the important thing. Um, me and Matt are also being safe. We're just more able to record over Skype. So, uh, that's good. Um, one thing, Matt, I want to do for these couple episodes that TJ might not be able to be present for because I just think it would be fun for our listeners. Uh, right. Especially since you've only met TJ a few times and uh, you've heard a couple episodes of the podcast with a minute. So, this could be interesting. Uh, Matt, I would like you to give us your best TJ impression.
1: Ooh. Um, I'm not sure if I... I uh could do an accurate accurate one. Um oh, be super inaccurate. That that's even funnier. Okay. Ugh, I hate this game. I don't understand <laughs> that, that is a reference Josh playing Smash Bros.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was expecting either a oh Smash Bros. I hate it, but I love it, or for you to just randomly be like, Yeah, hockey's cool. Hockey, 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 hockey. That's right. Because like we don't know anything about hockey, so that, that's all it really sounds like to us sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll miss TJ. TJ's great. Uh, we all still love him, and we're going to try and incorporate his spirit into the podcast. So if everybody would just meditate for a second for the spirit of TJ. No, we we don't we don't believe in that. But uh, before we do get going, we want to talk about some of uh, the needs here in our podcast. We've got a lot of stuff meant. Um, we're still looking for a uh, better equipment and the like computer. Uh, we have a better cord. We have a really good mic. We just need a better computer to run things on, which uh, the best way to help with that, unless you just have a ton of money and want to donate a computer would be to just go to Patreon.com and just kind of donate a dollar a month, whatever, less than you give to Disney for Disney plus. And, uh, that helps us kind of meet those needs. Uh, I know a lot of people are at work right now and it's hard for a lot of people, but, uh, that also affects us. Um, I mentioned last podcast, TJ's work, actually. He works at the mall with that Chipotle, and the mall's shut down right now, so he's out of a job for the time. So it's hard for us, Mm -hmm. too. It's hard for everybody. So uh, now more than ever, we need to help each other. So if you have the ability, go to Patreon.com, help us out. We'd really appreciate it. Um, Of course, we're also looking for updating our theme song as well as something else. TJ usually does this part, so he probably knows. I don't. But I know we need an updated song. (laughs) But uh, that being said, Matt is uh, my brother, so obviously I don't know him very well, and we need an icebreaker question. So, uh, Matt, I'm going to... Last time, I gave TJ an option of one one of two different icebreaker questions. He picked one. Now we're going to do the other one, which was... and, And I need you to really think about it, because whatever you pick, you're using it to fight crime. You're gonna be your true (laughs) superhero, okay? If you had to pick any one of your personality traits to turn into a superpower, which one would it be and why? I can go first if you'd like. Hmm. Now, uh, yeah, you, yeah, I'll go Um A lot of people might say, "Well, disabilities don't count as personality traits." If you knew me, you would know ADHD is a personality trait. Get over it. So uh, I'm gonna turn my ADHD into a superpower. I'm gonna be super ADHD. And I'm just gonna annoy the bad guys away. They'll all just leave the entire city I'm in. It'll be great. Yeah, that should be good. All right, Matt. One so of your personality traits turn into a superpower to fight crime.
1: To fight crime. Hmm. Very good. Um. Trying to think of something that can be self-deprecating and not. <laughs>
0: Um, use something that can be self-deprecating.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so I um a, a a besetting sin of mine would be to think of myself more often than others. So we'll say my superhero power would be then an inflated head, which could be used to crush the enemy. <laughs> You're gonna As literally
0: I'm, have a giant what, head.
1: You no know, bobblehead. Fashion.
0: <laughs> you will use your giant head to fight crime. That's a picture That's right. I don't I don't think I'll ever ever get out of my mind now. <laughs> yeah. Alright. This is a, this is why the icebreaker question is some of our listeners' favorite part. I'm gonna yes. i to tell on our listeners right now. I don't know if they know that I know this. But there's at least ten listeners a week that listen all the way through the icebreaker question other than stop. <laughs> <laughs> like it shows me. I'm like, wait a minute. They just want to hear us say silly things. What
1: do these guys have to say? I
0: just I just, just want looking, to let you all know like, that wow. I know you're
1: out there. To try to find the the um, rare uh, resource of toilet paper. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're just like, what are these guys going to say this week? Well, uh, I know you're out there. I just thought I'd let you know that I know you're out there. <laughs> We're watching you. No. <laughs> Right. Uh today's a very special episode, though. We're um, we're going to talk about why, how, and now. Uh, that is, no, what how and now, not why. Ignore me. But uh, don't ignore me, because I'm the one talking. That would be weird. But uh, what the Bible is, how it came to be, and how we should read it now in today's world. So, um are some pretty huge topics. Um, A lot of people would think this should have been before the last episode, right? We're doing a series right now, going through the Bible, talking about the main things people argue about. And we're not doing it because we like to argue. We're doing it because we want to find unity in the church. But, um, yeah, so a lot of people might think we should have done that before Genesis 1, what the Bible is. Uh, the reason we didn't is because uh, one view of the creation story has to do with how the Bible is written. So I was going to do this in between Genesis 1 and 2 so that we could talk about that a little bit more. Um, and we'll get to that later on in the episode. Uh, for now, I just want to remind everybody, me and Matthew are not, or, you know, TJ portrayed by Matthew, we're not trying to be self-proclaimed experts or smart folk or anything like that. Uh, we're not going to give you, here is the answer. We have settled the argument of what the Bible is. We're not, we're not going to do that. Smarter people than us have tried. We're not going to. All we want to get to, we're going to talk about what the arguments are. And then we're going to just see if we think there's any way we can be united. And I'll go ahead and tell you, there's some stuff in here we're going to talk about today that I don't think we can be united over. And I think Matt will say the same. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot that we can, but there's also a lot that we can't. So this is a pretty, pretty heavy topic. And yeah, I guess it's uh, time to just jump right in there. Right, Matt? Matt?
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I didn't know if you heard me that first time I said that. <laughs> oh, I guess not. <laughs>
0: but, uh, yeah, uh, do you have anything that you want to say about the Bible, man? What is the Bible? Let's turn there.
1: Yeah, I have a lot. Um, so I think that in this conversation, I'm one, humbled to talk about it. Um, and I also, um, affirm, uh, what Josh had said about not, um, presuming to be an expert of these things and um it is a high thing that we're talking about um as we're trying to speak about the word which finds its origin in god our father the creator of mankind in the universe um and the unfolding has done on the cross and the illuminating power of the spirit um, so the work of the triune god that that I seek to serve in scripture. Um, And I think that there's a great quote uh, more on the biblical canon from a professor at RTS actually here in Charlotte, Um, his name's Michael Kruger. And he says, the biblical canon is the collection of scriptural books that God has given his corporate people which are distinguished by their divine qualities, reception by the collective body, and their apostolic connection, either by authorship or association. Yeah.
0: What's that that mean exactly,
1: Matt? Yeah, yeah. So to dive into that... um, Just break it down
0: on the simplest level possible. Yeah, so...
1: All books of the Bible, um, the whole collection of it, both in the Old Testament and in the New are books that God has given um, his body uh, or just really the world in general. um, And they're to be determined or distinguished um, from other books that uh, men in the past and men today um, presume to be words breathed out by God. um, And they're distinguished uh, from those books by their divine qualities, meaning um, the way that they uh, relay truths of the origin of the books, um, so whom they're breathed out by, being God himself, um, reception by the collective body, so the importance of church history and what um, uh, fathers of the faith uh, have said about Scripture and their apostolic connection, meaning eyewitnesses of Christ himself or those who are connected um, with those who are eyewitnesses of Christ himself. So I hope that was more plainly put. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, um,
1: yeah, it's a big topic. So I want to make sure
0: we, right. Fully discuss everything <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah. And uh, to go over and talk about like the history of it, that's a lot of what we want to talk about today, right? Is um, how the Bible was canonized, that which is to say how the Bible how did people decide what went in the Bible? Did the authors writing it know? Hey, I'm writing the Bible right now. That's the kind of stuff we want to talk about, right? So, um the Old Testament canon, I was taught, and I believe for the longest time until, honestly, probably about a month ago, that the Old Testament wasn't put together until 90 CE. Oh, Matt, have you ever heard that?
1: Um, or So, what I've, 80 80. That, what I've heard... What I've heard was that the Old Testament... Um, was definitely put in place um, completely by the birth of Jesus at the latest. Um, And I think that uh, the reasoning that I've heard behind that um, is in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 24, verse 44, um, which says, sorry, I'm flipping there. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Which says, then he Then he said to them, these are my words that I still with you, that everything written about me, Christ, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So um, I say that because there's uh, what I see as a threefold dimension in the Old Testament, meaning three parts that I think the Old Testament is related in, being the Law of Moses, um, meaning kind of self-explanatory, the author being Moses, (laughs) um, and and the prophets. um, So that could be, you know, that's Isaiah, Jeremiah. The those would be. Major prophets and then minor prophets: Jonah, Micah, Nahum, um, and some others not listed in that. And then uh, the Psalms. So we know uh, David. You could also say wisdom literature, so the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, yeah. Song of Songs. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. so. Jewish people break that up into what they call—it's pronounced the, the Tanakh, right? Yeah, it's yeah, writes, and the, the Torah for Moses's books, the Neviim for. <laughs> yeah wisdom literature and the whatever for the other stuff. Yeah. The K word.
1: I'm not sure. I think so. Kona, maybe Kona or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's something. Right. I remember it sort of. The, <laughs> yeah, so the ninety
1: because because oh yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying the reason those verses is, is um Jesus himself, you know, we believe to be fully God, fully man. Um so so he himself is proclaiming what is in the Old Testament. So I think that that is um, extremely important uh, to consider as Christians who seek to have Christ as our Lord um, over our lives. Yeah.
0: So the 90 AD thing, I don't know if anybody else has heard that or was taught that. Um, I was taught that in college, actually, by a couple different classes, which I would say that. That was a, um, it wasn't even a formalizing of the scripture. It was just, they were adding a couple books, talking about a couple books, and formalizing the Hebrew Bible as it was known at that point. Not that there wasn't one before that, right? So before that, first there was, uh, you know, the books of Moses or the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it, those first five books, those were accepted as scripture. And then around Ezra's time, about 400 BCE or BC, whichever you prefer, that's when a lot of the other books kind of said, okay, here's what scripture is, it was canonized then. Um, And that's according to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in the first century. He was talking about how the Bible was, or the Old Testament Hebrew Bible was canonized around 400 BCE. So we do have a lot of evidence that this stuff was already here. Plus, all throughout the New Testament, when Matt's talking about, they're talking about the scriptures and stuff. And that's what they would have been talking about. The Bible that was canonized in 400 BCE. That's what Jesus was referring to as well, I believe. So that's, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament canon, it, it's a little trickier. It's kind of weird, right? Figuring out what belongs in the New Testament. Um, for the first, like, two centuries, we went off of what was called the apostolic tradition, the church did as a whole, which is to say that what came from the apostles, and plus there was just the spirit of the apostles' tradition, that you knew this is what is true this is what is not true they kind of they relied on the spirit so much they almost didn't need a king for those first two centuries until some heresies and different stuff kept up and they were like okay well they would plead if you went through some of the first creeds of the church they'd plead the apostolic say, okay well that goes against the tradition eventually they decided okay we we need a written this is what the bible is what the bible isn't right and it took several not several but it took a few hundred years Origen and a few other church fathers all had their own canon. This is the New Testament Scripture. Mostly had everything we have now, right? There was a few things that were debated uh, Some of them didn't want 3rd John or Hebrew, the book Hebrews in it. Some of them did. Um, but the Holy Spirit guided people in what counted as Scripture for the first around 400 years of the church. And everybody pretty much agreed what it was. I think that unity of saying, hey, this is what the Scripture is, even with a few discrepancies, I think that's a huge witness to the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, right? Like I think any other group, if we were just saying, we believe this thing, but we don't have any official books. We're just going to plead to some tradition. There'd be a lot more arguments, right? There'd be a lot more infighting, but the Holy Spirit was at work and it was alive and it was real with the church father saying, "Hey, no, this is what's true. This is what's not true. That speaks to a whole different level of unity until Heresy creeps up, right? Sin is what brings disunion. That's what I would say. Um, yeah, Matt, do you have any, any other comments with the New Testament canon?
1: Um, could you say what that last sentence was that you just said? I, I didn't quite hear it catch that very last sentence there.
0: Yeah, I was just saying um, the fact that there wasn't as much infighting or as much disunion, which is what I believe sin causes disunion.
1: Absolutely, right.
0: That's evident that the Holy Spirit was at work while what we considered the New Testament, what we considered truth of the right. Bible for the new, new Testament books. With the first 400 years, we didn't have a real canon. We didn't need it in the same way. People knew from the Holy Spirit what books were legit, what ones weren't. And it wasn't until more sin and more heresy crept up that they decided, okay, let's go ahead and say this is the canon of the New Testament. But for the most part, there was several church fathers origin a bunch of I, I know there's other ones i just can't think of them right now but uh, a lot of them are saying hey this is the new testament and they all had different ones that pretty much all agreed so for that to happen for three four hundred years that's pretty incredible right and of course they did have um they had standards what counts as new testament it had to be from um, either an apostle had to be the author or it had to be, God had to speak in the book, right? One of those two things. Yeah. Yeah, so the fact that they had standard, they had tradition, and the Holy Spirit worked the way it did for a few hundred years before the New Testament came around, really speaks to the power of the New Testament. And it really mm-hmm. speaks to the disunion that sin can cause, and heresies crept up in the church. And it, it took a long time before they needed to say, okay, look right now, what counts as New Testament? And that's that's evidence of what sin does when we allow it in the church. Yeah. Do you have any other things to add to your thoughts on the New Testament, Matt?
1: Yeah, I think um, something that's interesting. So in the canon that we um, affirm, which I don't know if you want to go into that now or later, uh, maybe even laying out exactly what that is. But um, but anyways, I think second corinthians four and I, I like what you said about um you know the necessar- the necessity of the Holy Spirit in these things, and um, I like what Paul says here yes. said corinthians four he says and even if our gospel is or sorry, let me go back a little bit, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with god 's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone 's conscience in mm-hmm. the sight of God um, and then he goes on, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Um, so then what I think is interesting with that is he's, he says we don't want to we don't want to practice cunning. We don't want to um, tamper with God's word. Um, so then how, how is one to know this light of the gospel, the glory of Christ? And like you said, the illumination, um, the you could say enlightenment or the awakening of, of dead souls by the Holy Spirit, um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, look out of darkness, theologians have referred to this as ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. Um, so just as God created the universe in Genesis 1, um, out of nothing, there was nothing, ex nihilo, uh, the same way that... Where our eyes were blind and ears were deaf and there was no understanding of Christ, uh, the Spirit uh, or God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I think that's one thing to consider is maybe the role of the Holy Spirit in understanding or discerning what is the Holy Scripture uh, that we're proclaiming and that we're um, distinguishing from from what we would say is not holy meaning set apart as as God's uh, scripture um, so yeah I think that, that that is cool I like what you said about that the illuminating work of the spirit to to enable us to understand these things um, and I think that's one thing that in any talk, um, that might seem off or above our heads I think it can be important and I don't want to get too far or rambling and too far off track but um, Theologians often talk about the the necessity of um, of understanding the creator creature distinction. Um, also, you could say uh, there's a there's a theological uh, word that people use. Um, you know, just we'll say God's being and man's becoming. That God has always been. He is the I am, as expressed in the Law of Moses, um, and and that we are. Uh, the ones who are changing, the ones who haven't always been, and the the ones who are becoming, um, you know, either in Christ becoming more like Him, or or quite the opposite, becoming uh, more hardened to the gospel and the understanding of um, So I think that's just important too, is is realizing, you know, when we come to the Word, we're coming to who who wrote this, what is the historicity uh, of the canon. Um, we want to think about um, who's the origin of Scripture and, and who are the ones trying to uh, explain what the origin of Scripture has has said. Yeah. We're going what on the, sorry, what's that? I was just saying, I know that was a whole lot there, but oh, no, that's just good.
0: something to consider. I think we're going to go even further into that here in a minute. But um, yeah. I, I do want to say about what Matt was just saying. Uh, that, that's part of why I We did Genesis 1 first, right? We talked last week about how in order to have unity, there was a list of, I think it was like eight or nine things we had to believe about creation. And one of those was that God created out of nothing. Because if he didn't, if stuff existed without him, there was no need for him to interact, right? There was no need for salvation. He could just let us be because we didn't come from him. So it's important that we believe that God created out of nothing. And then when you do, that makes the word even more important. Because the same God who created out of nothing, the origin of everything, also originated, if you will, the scripture. And um, yeah, that's it's, it's a lot of these doctrines, some of them have to be right because you build off of each other, right? That ex nihilo. Now we're building off that into what is scripture. And it's important that you get this stuff right, especially at the beginning, because if you miss some of the foundation of you can't have unity. If we don't have the same foundation, we don't have the same house, right? Right. Like, yeah, we can't have the same house built on two different foundations. That's not how it works. <laughs> so it's important that we get that right. Um, right. Yeah, so just wrapping up what Scripture is. What, what Matt was talking about is going to be part of our how section with this, right? How did the Scripture come to be? But wrapping up what it is, um, we'll talk about the Apocrypha, right? So Protestants call it, call it the Apocrypha. That's just some of the books of the Old Testament that weren't in the original Hebrew Bible. That are now in the Catholic Bibles as well as Hebrew Bible, Jewish Bibles today, right? And it's um, it's books like the Book of Enoch, uh, First, Second, Third, Fourth Maccabees. Um, a lot of these books were written; they were accurate; they were good books. Um, we go back to when I want to say fourth, fourth or fifth century, whenever Jerome was, Jerome and Augustine, right? Jerome was trying to write the Bible into Latin, because that was the common language at the time. And Jerome believed he had to translate the New Testament from Greek to Latin and and translate the Old Testament from Hebrew to Latin, because that was the original canon Bible, right? The Hebrew Bible. But at the time, a lot of people were using what's called the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. So they wanted him to translate the Greek into Latin. So it would be Hebrew to Greek to Latin. And the reason that was significant, the reason Jerome didn't want to do that, because the Septuagint included some of these books. First, second, third, fourth, Maccabees, the book of Enoch, um, some extra chapters in the book of Esther, uh, a few other things. I, I don't know exactly what they are off the top of my head, but the important thing is that they weren't there in the original Hebrew Bible. Jerome didn't like that. He said, no, that was canonized for a reason. I believe in the Spirit. I believe we're going to translate the original Hebrew Bible. Augustine was the one who was really his main, I don't want to say enemy, but uh, the main source of tension on this, right? Augustine said no, because the people in the New Testament, Paul, Peter, etc., they quoted both. They quoted the old Hebrew Bible, and they also quoted the Septuagint, which, to Augustine, he believed that even where these two disagreed, the Hebrew Bible and the Septuagint, that they were both from God which means that even the parts where they seem to contradict each other or they translated scripture differently from one to the other, they were both right, according to August. Jerome just thought that was crazy, and he even, he had a statement, I don't have the quote in front of me, but Jerome did say that the apocryphal was good for edification, but it was not good for doctrine. That means it's good to lift you up, it's good to help you understand the New Testament and different scriptures and stuff, But it is not good for you to base doctrines off of, that is, base your beliefs off of solely those scriptures. So he didn't want to include them. Eventually, Augustine said, just come on, do it, man. They're important books. And Jerome was like, oh, I guess. And because he went ahead and translated them, the church included those, which means all of the church was using the Bible with Old Testament, New Testament, Apocrypha, everything, all the way up until the Reformation. That's when Martin Luther and John Calvin and the leaders of the Reformation, they were all humanists, not the type of humanist that we think of today. There was a different humanist movement that believed in fontes, which is um, back to the original source, right? That's what they believed, is we should be using original sources, not just for the Bible, but for everything. It makes things more accurate, which is something most modern people understand and agree with. So um, so with that, Luther, Calvin, all of them went back to the original Old Testament not including the Apocrypha. And that's where Protestants don't have the Apocrypha, Catholics, Jewish people do. Which is our first source of tension, right? So we're talking about what the Bible is. Can people who
1: believe in the Apocrypha be united with people who don't? Matt, what do you think? Can people um affirming the Apocrypha be united to those who don't? Is that right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think, so my answer um, would be no in this regard. Um, and that being because uh, when we think of Scripture, one of the things uh, um, that was proclaimed in the Reformation and really throughout history um, is is what can be known as sola scriptura, and um, that meaning Scripture alone. And when we think of Scripture alone, we also want to go into uh, scopus scriptura so the scope of scripture meaning um, the high aim or target or goal of, of what scripture um, is geared towards what the entire bible points towards um, and that being uh, the creation of man the fall of man and um, the redemption and restoration of man um, all pointing to Christ and um, I think uh, I'll use a fancy word, but basically it just means ways of studying the Bible. But hermeneutic, um, we want to consider uh, how important hermeneutics are when we consider Scripture. Um, and one important hermeneutic to consider is that um, the best way to interpret Scripture is is with Scripture. Uh, and one way of doing that, I think, is um, subsequent Scripture. So Scripture that comes later on in um, clearly making sense and proclaiming um, antecedents, so prior scripture um, that's been revealed. And the reason I say that, um, too, is, is uh, I, I also um, want to affirm and agree on uh, the importance of, of church history. And uh, we have tons of confessions of, of people um, denying that you can be um, united in this, um, and that not meaning that we should not love one another and point one another to to Christ, but um, but just uh, to to lean on people that were uh, more studied in this matter. I will list a few uh, of things that they have said, um, but this is um, just to give some some actual timelines in, in history as well. Um, we have the Westminster Confession um, and. Um, in one of their articles they say the books commonly called apocrypha not being of divine inspiration are no part of the canon of the scripture and Therefore are of no authority in the church of God nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings um, and Then in the London Baptist confession, which is 1689 to give a date on that um, So this would have been after Luther and then the authority of the holy scripture for which it ought to be believed dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church but wholly upon God who is truth itself the author thereof therefore it is to be received because it is the word of god um so uh and then here's the the <laughs> to to make sense of all this the the scope of scripture so what is the scope of scripture and i think that's how we want to understand does this fit in scripture um, is this in, in the same confession The london baptist it says the whole counsel of god concerning all things necessary for his own glory man's salvation faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the holy scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by a new revelation of the spirit or traditions of man um so i think that that's important so what is the scope of Scripture? And then the question that I would ask to my friends who uh, would would say that they um, believe in the Apocrypha, I would ask, does does the scope of the Apocrypha hit towards these main things that God has clearly expressed in what we believe as the canon? That Do they aim towards his own glory, being God's glory alone, man's salvation unto God's glory, faith and life? Um, so I
0: Most think that- of them would say, yeah, though yeah do I would say it does
1: do all of that maybe I don't know I mean um, I think yeah you want to explain that a little bit
0: yeah I don't uh, oh, know man for for me when I look at it and I look at the history of it I think either you're on the side of Augustine Thomas Aquinas and the Catholic Church today or you're on the side of Jerome Calvin Luther and all that right because you got to think, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, both of them, as far as I'm concerned, when I read their works, I find them useful. I think they both true Christians. I would call them both brothers, but they still believed in the Apocrypha. which blows my mind because I'm like, I, that's not right, right? To me, I look at. It. At I look at the original sources. That's the most accurate. Um, I look at what Jerome said, where he said it's used for edifying, but not used for doctrine. And I'm like, yeah, I, I confirm that. You know, Sola Scriptura, all that stuff. I'm on that side. But I wouldn't take it so far to say that I don't think Augustine or Thomas Aquinas are Christians. I still think they were. I think they were wrong about this issue. But I can still be united and think they're wrong. The, pro- the part where I think you step over the line is when you get to some of this stuff about um, purgatory or penance, right? some of these doctrines that come from it, which is why I go back to Jerome. It, maybe it's good for edifying, but it's not good for doctrine. If I look at the, When I look at penance and I look at um, purgatory, that's stuff that seems to go against God's salvation, right? You're saying that you can be saved some other way than Jesus, and that's some of those doctrines, which I don't fully understand, so maybe I'm misrepresenting it. But uh, some of those I'm like, you've gone too far. I don't think we can be united if you think there's any other way of salvation other than Jesus, right? So I don't know. I, I think it's a really tricky question. I wouldn't I wouldn't say yay or nay, if that makes sense. I would say that uh, I do consider Augustine and Aquinas both Christians, even though they believe that. But I also would say if uh, someone believes in purgatory, that they can buy their way to heaven, I wouldn't consider that person a Christian, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, it's a heavy yeah. topic. Yeah yeah
0: but uh so that's there's a lot of i don't say there's a lot of room there but there's a lot of um it takes a lot of understanding to really enter that conversation but it's important to understand what matt was talking about the scope of scripture does it fit that does it fit the holy spirit do we want to this again this is something i I really hook up on is when it comes to something as important as a scripture or the holy spirit do we really want to go as far to say to call something scripture that's not you know what i mean yeah i feel like I want to go on the safer option is to say, this is what we know God meant. I suppose to say, God might have meant this. That's not good enough for me, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tricky. Um, let's get into Let's get into inspiration. I think that's fun stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Lot, let's see. There's a lot of places here, clearly, where there's a unity or not unity, and uh, inspiration is one of those that's, I think, of the utmost importance, right? If you don't believe the Bible is inspired, how do you really believe the Bible at all? Um, a lot of people, especially early church, believed that the writers of the Bible basically fell into an ecstasy, right? They went into a deep sleep, they basically were high out of their mind, and God just kind of took over them and compulsed them into writing exactly what he meant. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much held until Origen, which was Still very early on in the church, I want to say first or second century Christian, right? Um, do you know when Origin was met?
1: Uh, I'm not too sure. I Me mean, neither.
0: But he um, he came around and he said that doesn't sound like my God. I don't think God does that to people. What he argued was that God sent such clarity, such sensibility, such light that he revealed the truth of what they were writing about so much that that's how he inspired. He inspired it through clarity, not through com- Trolling people, not through chaos, not through some high that they got, but through clarity. I really like that sentiment, but um, a lot of people still take that, uh, you know, even if they don't believe that people got high and did weird stuff, they still believe that in what's called mechanical dictation, right? That God gave them word for word what was supposed to be written. You've heard that, right, Matt?
1: We just said one more time, I'm sorry. You've heard uh, people who believe in mechanical dictation. But I don't God know if I gave have.
0: them word for word exactly what was supposed to be written.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if I have or not.
0: Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of people still believe that God basically said, "Isaiah, write this." Hi, did you say hello? I said hi, Isaiah. Start over. <laughs> basically, <laughs> they they believe word for word God gave them exactly what was meant to be said, and that's it's it's actually been a huge source of conflict throughout all of church history you can go through where people argue either god gave them exactly what or no humans just kind of did their own thing and god said no that one's good and that one's not good or you know some most people fall somewhere in between where god inspired them in some way and they wrote of their own accord and it's it's a, if you think god matt um how would you explain god's role or human's role in the writing of scripture how was it inspired
1: yeah um so you guys will notice that I use more Bible verses than anything because, um, well, one, we're talking about the Bible. And then, two, uh, I think, it, you know, Scripture speaks for itself. And uh, Luther himself is um, quoted of, of for saying something of the sort as when we um, speak Scripture, it's like unleashing a lion. Uh, so um, I think that, that that's why I want to stick to that. But uh, I do uh, think that this verse will be helpful um, in Second Peter which interestingly enough was one of the more disputed books of the, of the Bible just as a fun fact. Um, but anyways, so second Peter one twenty 20 um, saying, uh, knowing that knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy spirit. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think like what you were saying, I, I think obviously there were authors of scripture that had a style of writing, um, but I, I do also affirm that there was no adding to or taking away from um, God's intended uh, word through these authors. But like, for instance, like uh, you can take the accounts of the gospel and the differences of writing and the difference of angles that were taking on the mission of Christ um, And you think of Luke, for instance, who uh, as a physician had a more detailed, what I would say, uh, description of what took place um, and even, you know, considering Acts. Um, So I think that that's one thing. Does that make sense? What I said, Josh, like I think obviously, I I agree that I think every word, as Second Timothy says, is is inspired, breathed out by God um, and that. Nothing, uh, you know, by the power of the spirit, by the sovereign, um, which meaning ruling and, um, just God in control of everything. I don't think there's anything that doesn't belong in the word that the church has today and has, um, confessed, uh, for, uh, confessed the unity thereof for centuries, um, since Christ. Um, but. At the same time, I, I do agree. There's styles of writing, definitely. You know, I mean, even look at the song.
0: Context, context does make a difference. You know, a lot of what Paul wrote about women even just had to do with what was going on in the church at that time. And that's where we, we have a lot of arguments over what Paul said about women today, because we don't fully understand the context, right? One way or another, we know that the context played a role, but we don't know how big of a role, right? That's, that's where the argument basically stems is how big was the role? Of Paul's context as opposed to what God literally meant. But still, we will say, and I think, I want to go as far as say that all Christians would say that every word of the Bible was inspired. Now, we might disagree on how it was inspired, but there's a history of church fathers and church throughout forever saying all of the Bible is inspired where it comes into question is how is it inspired? How much of the context really play a role? How much do humans actually have to do with it? Did humans have anything to do with it? You know, is it just style or is it Paul's own thoughts sometimes creep in there? You know, there was a part where Paul says, I write this of my own opinion. Was that really of his own opinion? You know what I mean? And, uh, I don't know. Uh, just before we move on though, Matt talked about second Peter. Uh, I said third John earlier. A lot of these books that were in question, were in question because of what they said, but we were in question because they didn't know who was the real author, right? So, just so you yeah, know, like that know. Yeah, that was a that was a part of canonizing, was figuring out where it really came from. People were very careful about making sure it was legit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and Peter actually references Paul's letters as scripture in one of his books. So, mm-hmm. just an interesting fun fact. But, um, yeah, so what we see in the church is a weird, first, you know, couple hundred years, it was focused on, you know, people had no role at all, God gave them work for work, what the same, to a lot of debate on, you know, how much did context and how much did their own style affect the scripture as opposed to, you know, um, there was a thing, it was a dual inspiration, right? It was both human and God. God wanted human fingerprints in scripture in so much as that he wanted it to be real. He wanted it to be authentic to humans. And when you read through Psalms, you can tell David really felt some of this, right? You're like, wow, I feel that. You know, when he talks about the feeling of drowning in depression, you're like, I get that. Right. But, um, yeah. And we, we talked a lot about that with, um, Chris, we did a video on Facebook. We often find just talking about, um, how much of scripture came from what and how we do have to, we get to a point where we have to believe if we believe in God, that he gave us the word as he meant it to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what, what's eventually happened though through time is people start leaning more and more to humans role in scripture. And sometimes that gets dangerous. Um, I want to talk about biblical criticism for a little bit. Um, some people still believe both, right? Some stupid people do believe biblical criticism and also fully believe the Bible is inerrant. But some people have used this belief called biblical criticism to basically argue that the Bible is just a work of humans. And uh, what, what it is, is it's looking at the Bible basically as literature. And you're looking at stuff like um, source criticism, redactor criticism, that stuff where you're saying who actually wrote it. Who edited it together? Was it edited? Can we find proof of that? You know, that kind of stuff. And a lot of people will use that to basically take God out of the equation. And that's where you're crossing a line, right? Mm-hmm. But some people use that, trying to use that anyway, for the benefit of understanding Scripture better. Um, and what it is, is um, just because I should explain it better, I suppose. Um, source criticism, they're really looking at who wrote the Bible, how it was written. A lot of it uses archaeology, right? Figuring out where it came from, how old it was, when it was written, all that stuff. Finding as close as we can into the original stuff. Um, redactors, you know, when we find some of the old copies, some stuff's not there. Uh, you'll hear people today, actually, weird. I think it's, I want to say it's the ending of Mark that we've discovered was added way later on to the book of Mark, right? And the original copies didn't have the last chapter. So some people will argue today that the last chapter is not really scripture. Where you'll find in a lot of bibles it'll have like a footnote saying this last chapter was added later basically believe it if you want um i honestly don't know where i stand on that but uh that is hmm. some of what source criticism and redactor criticism that's sort of some of what it's doing today uh, one big thing and we're going to see more of that as we go through the bible the one big thing is uh, the documentary hypothesis which says that the first five books of the bible were written by several different authors and were later edited together, and they used stuff like White um, like Genesis One and Two, and uh, some of the other stories that seem to be repeated. And they say, "See, this was just two different versions of the stories, and they put them both in here." Um. Now, whenever that came out, several people came against it with basically um, affirming that no Moses wrote it, kind of going against documentary hypothesis. Same with the conservative. Tradition of how we believe it was written, and that would have been just to name some people who stuck with Moses as the author and really stood up for that was a Pope Pius the Ninth, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, Pope Pius the Tenth, and then Protestant leader B.B. Warfield, who also wanted to point. He points to Second Timothy three sixteen, Matt. Do you know? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He points to that and he looks at the word that says God breathes. It says script all is God breathed, and he says. The word there is breathed out, not breathed in. Not man took in the word and mm-hmm. came up with the word, but God breathed out the word. And he uses that as his evidence for no, no, no. It is from God. A lot of this stuff doesn't matter. It is from God, right? But um, so with documentary hypothesis, there's one guy who's actually been on the podcast before that I want to talk about because it's uh, kind of been making a lot of noise in today's. World, especially you know, biblical scholarship world, is that uh, Dr. Pete Ends Matt? Have you heard of Pete Ends before?
1: I don't think so.
0: Okay, well, um, he says he believes in biblical inerrancy. He believes the whole Bible is true, but he also believes in this documentary hypothesis that the five books that are originally con- said to come from Moses were actually from several different authors and put together. And he actually believes that it was put together by Ezra. If you look in I think it was Nehemiah 8 somewhere, it talks about how Ezra gave the word to the people, and they never heard it before. And he'll look at that and say, that's evidence that Ezra put the word together. Yeah, say what you will about it. But he uses the documentary hypothesis to kind of explain why Genesis 1 and 2 seem to disagree with each other. They both are stories of creation, he and says, and he says they were written by two different people and edited together. Because in Genesis 1, plants are created first, then animals, and then man and woman were created at the same time. Genesis 2, and this is, again, according to him, not according to me, man was created first, then plants, then animals, then woman. Um, I put a. If people go to the Patreon, they can go down to the link for our notes, not the notes that are typed up, but the link for the Word document, and I kind of made a chart there that they can look at and see where he finds the verses to kind of support his belief on this. Um, and he says that these are put side by side for a plain reading of the okay. text you know biblical literalism we talked about that before he says these are put side by side so that people can read it and see that they obviously aren't the same story so that they'll see the true points of the story instead and that's sort of his argument that gets in the where he has a whole lot where he has to re-explain original sin that doctrine we're going to talk about that next week he has to re-explain creation did god really create it? and then, you know Trying to balance that with biblical inerrancy comes up with a lot of problems, doesn't it, Matt?
1: Yeah. Um, trying to balance, uh, you're talking about original sin at that point, or what we were talking
0: about? Well, trying to balance biblical inerrancy with this idea of, um, some of some of these ideas with, like, source criticism and stuff.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, you mean, do they contradict each other? Yeah, well,
0: what he's, where, like what he's doing here with Genesis 1-2, just as one example, where he's saying that they are both two different stories, and they weren't meant to tell us what literally happened, but instead were meant to show a different point. And that's why they were put side-by-side, side. so a plain reading would show that they're not the same.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, yeah. I'm I, Whenever
0: you put Genesis 1 and 2 in question, a lot of doctrines are affected.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that goes back to the whole getting the garden right. And that's why there's so many different disputes on um, sab- the Sabbath, really. But that's, that's a whole other topic of discussion. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I agree that there can be there's tons of importance that we want to get back to in the beginning of, um, you know, creation and how we view what happened there. Definitely, um, definitely has huge implications for uh, our theology and ways of thinking and viewing um, the rest of Scripture.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll ends,
1: through I'm guessing through Genesis three, uh, original sin, you know, and even what many reformers I'm interested to tune into that one have have called uh, covenant of works. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's for, yeah. we'll say then, but anyways, <laughs> yeah,
0: he, um, now Pete doesn't believe in a literal Adam. Right? He believes the stories, he believes the Bible is completely true, that there's no flaws, but he doesn't believe it was a literal atom. He believes it was a story. Which, yeah, affects a lot of different doctrines. Um, now, he will say, from, from what I know, I've, I've only talked to him and myself a handful of times, but he'll say that he still believes all those eight points that we talked about last week, about creation, he still affirms all those. That God created the world out of nothing. He still believes that there is sin. He still believes that all of the stuff that we need to believe to believe in salvation. But then he brings the story of Genesis into question. He brings the authorship of the first five books into question. And authorship actually does play a huge role in how we view Scripture. Right? If, Absolutely. If you think like um, like Dr. Ends, the Genesis through Deuteronomy was written, well not written, but it was put together during the exile during Babylonian exile by Ezra well that's going to mean something different than if Moses put it together while they were leaving Egypt right because you're going to look at it and you're going to be like okay Genesis 1 was it talking to people who are just now becoming a nation or was it talking to people who lost a nation who you're talking to makes a huge difference in what you say right like, Absolutely. Um, there, there are some things I would say to my brother. but um, For example, if I told Matt, I love you, and I told <laughs> Tiffany, I love you, I probably mean two very different things, right? I said the same thing, but I mean two different things. Totally different things. The same right. thing can be said of Scripture, and that's where authorship becomes a huge deal because if Moses wrote it, it meant one thing it was edited later by Ezra and all the other people wrote it. It could mean something different. Now a lot of these are just kind of minor arguments. We can still have unity and disagree on some of this, right? But sometimes authorship becomes a matter of salvation, right? Do you believe the story of Jesus was just a story? Do yeah. you believe it's just a story? It's something literal happened. We can't be united because if it didn't literally happen, there is no literal salvation. Which means if there's no salvation, there is no Christian unity because there's no Christianity. Right. So, um, I, I think authorship is it's a tricky one. It's going to be a book-by-book book case that you have to look and see. Does this belief matter here, right? Uh, when we get to the book of Hebrews, if you think Paul, Peter, Joe wrote it, it doesn't make a huge difference. We'd have no idea who wrote the book of Hebrews. But when it gets to some of these other books, it does make a pretty big difference. And that can get to be a tier one issue, right? Hebrews, probably tier three, who you think wrote it. The Gospels, maybe even the first five books. Well, I say the Gospels is probably a tier one. First five books, probably a tier two. Book by book, it'll be different how important authorship is. But it is important. And it's certainly important to whether or not you believe it was done by man or by God, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I am going to say, uh, if I can chime in a little bit on that. Um, I forgot the guy's name, but... Yeah, so I, I think... Um, so maybe even for the audience, it'd be helpful. I definitely I believe in the inerrancy and and, and fallibility of Scripture. And um, I do agree that we need to consider the authorship of books. So I think if we're thinking of Genesis differently than a historical account of creation of the world um, before the nation of Israel, I mean, that even has implications on uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, um, and uh, going onward. I mean, how do you make sense of Genesis nine? Um, but then even in Romans five. So that goes through, um, you know, like we're going back to the scope of Scripture and the hermeneutic of or the the way we study Scripture as Scripture and in interpreting other scriptures. So Romans five says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over the, those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. He was a type of the one who was to come. Um, then it goes down. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Um, so, and then it says, you know, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And maybe you all talk about this in Original Sin, but I think we must see adam as a real historical figure because that has implications that seeing christ as a real historical figure because through adam falling into sin um theologians call this federal headship of adam and that's why he was one like christ who was to come uh so that adam uh when he sinned and fell from the garden of eden um the place where he was meant to be a priest judge of sorts to guard Eden from serpentine uh creatures such as the one he was tempted into sin with his wife E uh Eve. Um and, and that leading to uh him actually being expelled from the garden. So he he failed. That's called covenant of works. You can get into that later. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. But the reason I say this is um I think the way that we do view um is this literary. Um trying to think of an example here. Um you could think uh maybe Song of Solomon or something, but um, but as far as Genesis, uh, I think that's something we need to see as an historical account, because when we don't see it as a historical, account, well, then that could have implications such as, well, did man plunge into sin with Adam as their federal head, and if not, um, well, then what's the need for Christ? Um, because Christ is seen, Adam is seen as a type of the one to come, meaning simply that uh, I've heard it said he was like a giant wearing a belt that had all of humanity on it. So that wherever this giant went, so did all of humanity go with him. Um, so then Christ comes, dies on the cross, raises three days later. And so all who believe and have placed faith on, in, on Christ and, and his merit, um, death and resurrection go also with Christ, uh, meaning to where, so where Adam went. Uh, all of humanity goes, and where Christ goes, all who believe, having faith in Christ, go. Does that make sense? So That's why I would say, I wonder how he would interpret that, if he's seeing Adam as a, um, just kind of a literary, you know, figure of sorts. Yeah. Of, um, um, figure.
0: I actually have a lot on how he sees some of that scripture, because he talks about it in great detail, yep. because, you know, obviously, people question a doctrine. Someone who has their
1: doctrine on, okay, well, you you don't believe this part of scripture. We have a lot of questions then, right? Yeah, all right. So, do you believe um, in sin? Like, um, yeah. Do you believe sin spread to all men, uh, as yeah. Romans five would say? Well, I'll I'll go ahead. I'll give a spoiler for next week's episode. Um, Pete ends
0: doesn't believe in original sin, but he does believe we have all sinned. Um, I'm gonna actually, hopefully Matt can come back when we talk about sin with Pastor Gary next
1: episode. Um, I would I, love that. I'm very interested in that I, one. <laughs> I know. want to sin in because I'm, I'm well acquainted with it. <laughs> Unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I want to go ahead and warn all of our listeners uh, that, that I will be bombarding Pastor Gary Adkins. Plenty of questions on how or if we can be united because uh, that's a pretty big if. Um, now I do want to say to wrap up documentary hypothesis, um, some people do believe that, right? That multiple people wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy, that Ezra put it together, and also believe that it was a historical account, that that's just happened to be who wrote it and how it came to be. Um,
1: and I'd part- like to add in that. Sorry. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I would lo- like to, to add into that if I can. Yeah. And if that's not, you know, stepping into any kind of thing, I don't know what kind of time frame <laughs> we're on. Go ahead. I um, so I think after the fall of mankind, Genesis... 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. So I believe, you know, yeah, Moses wrote these books. So as Moses is writing, he's writing as one who met God at Sinai, gave the law as God expressed himself um, through it to Israel, uh, that they should be a nation uh, obeying God. And and we see the call of Abram, um, which is a whole nother thing we can get into later. But um, so it is interesting to think of if I think of of Moses as the author, um, as one who is knowing um, God's chosen people in that time as Israel, uh, you know, um, yeah, basically getting into all of that. But it just it makes sense to me that he would have this um, whole yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I, I think that's something to consider is um, Moses's role with Israel and the giving of the law and the ne- necessity of the law because of the fall of man. Yeah, no, I um Yeah, I,
0: I, I don't like to give my view on stuff that I don't feel is necessary. I will say our church, Church of God of Prophecy, or my church, not Matt's, um, does affirm that Moses wrote the first five books, right? However, talking about the documentary of opposites, just to get some examples where they say the stories repeat and how they come to, to it. As Genesis 1-2, they think there's two different accounts of the same story. Um, Abram's wife, when they go into Egypt, he pretends as his sister two different times that story happens. The Ten Commandments is given twice. Jacobson gets his name changed to Israel two different places. Um, there, there's a few examples where they say the same thing happened twice. and This is why. This is what they use to explain it. Um, and they think they came to it from literal or just plain reading on the text saying, hey, it happened twice. Maybe it was the same story given by two different people and just put together later. Um, and they look at when Ezra gave the word to Israel. That's their example for it. Um, a lot of people still believe this and still believe it, that it was all historically accurate. Um, I won't say what I believe. Uh, I will say they also use, um, oh, I will go ahead. They also use the fact that uh, in Deuteronomy it talks about the death of Moses. How could write, Moses write about his own death? Um, there are arguments on whether Moses wrote it or whether someone else wrote it. I won't say for certain
1: on sin yet.
0: We'll talk about that next week. I'll question Pastor Gary and we'll go with what he says, right? What I will say. I, and I look
1: forward to hopefully being in on that. <laughs> yeah,
0: man, me too, man. I know you. we all got plenty to say about sin. We all got plenty of experience with it, right? That's it. But, uh, but uh, what I will say, though, if you believe Moses wrote it, if you believed it the other way. That doesn't necessarily that I don't think the authorship alone means you can't be united. What you believe about original sin can absolutely mean you're not united, right? But you know, if if you thought Moses wrote Genesis from Deuteronomy and uh actually Ah man, was it it was I think it was John Calvin. No, it was Jerome. Sorry, my bad. I just have to go through my history a little bit. Got yeah, Saint Jerome actually. He's the one who said he said whether you think Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy or you thought Ezra did it makes no difference, right? And that, that's what the church father thought. And of course, at that time, whether you believe Moses or Ezra wrote it didn't mean you didn't really believe it. So I, I think the same thing's true, right? I think if you thought Moses wrote it or Ezra wrote it, do you really believe it? By all means, we can be united and just don't think the other one's crazy. Right, but uh, if you don't believe in original sin, we'll talk about that next week <laughs> that's a that's a much bigger topic, I think um matt, do you have any any other thoughts on what scripture is, how it's inspired, and how you should read it now?
1: Um, well, yeah, I have one as we you know how we should read it now, also, I think like you said, I can't agree, you know. We are saved, as Ephesians two says, by grace through faith alone. Um, however, uh, I, I, this is not me teasing anybody, but I would I would think of you know even just history of Israel as a nation and the really apostasy of them and, and then being placed under captivity and the rebuilding of the law of the uh, temple, um, and then even the the losing of the law is something I would look into and ask them about, because I think in that context of Ezra, Ezra reading the law again, it was kind of like a <laughs> like a, um, wow, like we lost it, and now we're bringing it back, and the people wept. Um, anyways, that's a whole other thing, but
0: <laughs> Yeah, that is what most people who believe Moses wrote it, that's what they'll be like, you're silly, this is what the Ezra thinks about, and the other people will be like, anyways, well, that's, that's, that. dude, you know, I mean, that's silly, they both think they're all silly, Every, everybody's silly, that's the end of the story.
1: That's no, 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 but Second um, Timothy 3. Um, so this is Paul writing to Timothy, and I think, um, you know, this is uh, a wonderful thing um, that we're speaking about. God's Word, uh, which can be used and and is used always um, with salvation. So I see, you know, a man is saved by the hearing of, of the Word. We see that in Romans 10. How, how will they... How will they believe if they have not heard Um, in the spirit of God alone is the one who saves? Um, But God has given his word in a way that we might rightly know that which is necessary for salvation, that Christ died on a cross and and, um, descended into hell and was raised and ascended into heaven three days later to be rightly placed at the right hand of God. The father um, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Um, so the reason I say all that is, I think the way that we want to read the word now is to come before it in humility. Um, you know, realizing that, you know, even even if you, I even want to talk to people who, even if you're skeptical, um, I would plead with you to read the word. Um, just if there, if you could even admit there may be a possibility. That all of this is true, and that this really does come from God. Um, if you can can come to that possible conclusion, I would plead with you to to read it as such. To just try to read it as such. And and I believe, as as Luther and and the other reformers have said, that that the Word of God will unleash itself like a lion, uh, ravaging you and showing you um, who you are in the glory of Christ and and all that God has done. Um, and I think as for Christians, we want to read the word in, in, in a way that um, honors Christ. We want to uh, be humbled, but we want to be equipped uh, for every good work as the spirit works powerfully uh, within us through the reading of God's word. Um, for pastors, you want to be faithful heralds of God's word. All all believers want to be that. But uh, I believe pastors especially should seek to uh, stay true to the word of God. Um Even in the midst of this COVID-19 situation, um, we want to lift high this word of God that has um, everything necessary for faith, salvation, and holy living, um, and consider, um, you know, the unfolding plan of God, what has happened, and and, uh, even in these dark days, you know, what is to come. Um, So, (laughs) that's my tip.
0: (laughs) I think that's a that's a good note to kind of start to wrap up on. I like that. I um so Matt, I don't know if we did it the last time you were on the podcast, but you've listened to the podcast. You know uh, one thing we like to do to end, we like to have, talk about our God moment. I say of the week, we do it every other week, we do it a month. Our we like to our God moment of recent times past. <laughs> the, and uh, I, actually, I actually got a my God moment for recent times past it's from a few days ago, and um. It's, it's actually, it's a good testament to why it's important we talk about our God moments of the near times past. Um, while putting up our, I say our new light fixture, uh, Tiffany got a light picture from her grandmother's house who passed away. And we were putting it up, right? And we were taking down the light picture that the house came with and trying to figure out what to do with it. And uh, she, she was actually talking to me. She was like, well, I don't know what to do with it because you know, we give all these we gave another fan to the mission house he's like, I don't think they ever did anything with it. It was probably just, you know, collecting dust. And I had to explain to her that I actually, when I gave the, the fan to the mission house, you know, our church has, uh, uh, basically their own lows where, you know, they take stuff from different home improvement stores around and from people from the church and they resell it at the store called the mission house. And, um, yeah, anyway, so we gave this fan to them when I donated it. I came back the next day and I actually saw somebody walk out with that fan. So it was sold and I saw somebody walk out with it. And I was like, wow, that money. We just gave this fan to the mission house. Someone bought it for, you know, 30 bucks, whatever. And that money is going to go to Peru and help these starving kids. And all they would be like, wow, that really encouraged me. But I forgot to tell my wife. I forgot to tell Tiffany. So she never heard about it. So when we're putting this other light picture up, she's like, oh, this. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I never told you about that. And that's a testament, I think. That's why it's important that we share with people when we see God doing something. We see a moment where we're like, wow, good has happened. It's important that we share it so that people are aware that it happened, right? So Tiffany did a good thing, giving that fan away. And until I just recently told her, she had no idea that it actually did help somebody. So yeah, that's my God moment. Just a reminder that it's important to share our God moments. Yeah. So uh, Matt, did you have a... God moment in recent times past.
1: Um, Yeah, I think you could uh, definitely say that. I mean, even every day waking up is a God moment, but uh, (laughs) a more specific one. um, You just use that once. (laughs) Yeah, a more specific one being, um, I think, uh, through this situation where, um, at least for us here in Charlotte, I I would imagine around the world, um, the fact that we aren't allowed to gather. Uh, together um, in church Um, and how difficult that's been for me, just the importance of the local assembly. Um, But uh, just we've been hosting prayer meetings at our church. And I think that that has been uh, a way that the Lord has used this uh, virus and um, separation from, uh, well, physical separation, never spiritual separation because we're united in Christ through the spirit. But just just, Yeah, physical separation that the Lord has used this time to really, uh, I believe, convict me and draw me to um, depend on him through prayer uh, more often. And that has been, um, you know, just a simple but sweet um, just reminder of of the necessity of prayer. And really, for me, just being hopeful that after this virus and even through it, uh, you know, well, Lord willing, we should say, you know, because none of us saw this coming, uh, that, that the church would be more um, shaped to God's word than also that there would be a great um, revival happening. I think it's interesting if you look at church history also and thinking about um, just uh, disasters, I mean, absolute disasters that have occurred and how the church of Christ has prevailed through them and how many actually came to, self, to saving faith through those situations I mean even looking at the Middle East and thinking of all the persecution and all that are coming to Christ in China you can say the same thing um, other places as well but I think that's something to consider that for me is an encouragement and even thinking in America how um, you know many claim uh, claim Christ as their Lord but their their deeds do not show it and I think that this can be a way of of exposing that and then hopefully, you know, drawing people to a more, you know, faithful profession. Oh, yeah. And uh, me I and mean, Pastor
0: Gary, when I was asking them about, you know, this coming podcast that we're going to do here in the next couple weeks, talked a lot about that. One thing, you know, that, that they did, our Harvest Ministries, you can find it at harvestministries.cc. Um, one thing they did that I thought was actually really cool, whenever they've, they've been recording the last couple Sundays, they recorded and they did a message. They had where each pastor came up even if it was you know brother baker just came up to say here's what the seniors are going to be doing right and they all just came up so we could see them this pastor gary said and what that's why about the first place i thought was really cool is just important we see their faces that we're showing that we are still united even though we're not together that people can see that and that they can feel that and i think the church is making incredible strides in finding ways to do that without physically being together it's reminding us of uh, what real unity really looks like so even in the midst of this really dark time, church unity has come to the forefront, and that's really encouraging, I think, in its own way. But yeah, so uh, man, we just keep keep going on t- Two Knowles on a podcast equals one long podcast.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, when Judy was on, I think the same thing happened. It's just, it's just Knowles, man. But uh, yeah. Right. yeah, Tiffany right. talks more now too. It's, it's a, no, but <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate everybody coming again can support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash whole church podcast. Uh, we need as much more as we can. Um, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram if you're not already doing that. Find us there, follow us, um, share podcasts. You know, the more shares we get, the more people who see this, the more people who see it, the more they're aware unity is important. The more people who know unity is important, the more likely unity is going to happen. Um, so it's just, it's extremely important that you guys share these for us. It means to the whole world that um, to those of you who do support us on Patreon, we really appreciate that as well. Um, what, what, are, what are other things you could do? You can feel free to run our Twitter because we're just bad at it. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so we have some future guests. We have Pastor Gary. Um, I've been talking again to Father Christian Siskos. I'm trying to remember his name up. We're going to re record that podcast with him that you guys missed. Um, we're going to be doing that at the Greek Orthodox Church probably sometime in July. We'll be looking forward to having Chris back on and helping my brother Matt and uh hopefully TJ will be back with us soon or relatively soon and I'll get to come up with more names like Typhoon Jaloon to call him so that we don't reveal what TJ actually is. yeah so for those of you who are looking forward to some of these future guests tune in next week for those of you who are going to check out our Patreon Go to our Patreon now to hear the rest of this For me and Matt try and summarize the entire podcast in 10 seconds or less after I remind everybody that uh, our, I forgot one important thing, Matt, before we do the 10 seconds. Uh, the end of the season, I don't know if you know this, Matt, but uh, end of season one, we're actually going to have a uh, special guest uh, Francis Chan, who just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys, yeah, if you want to hear the rest the 10-second segment, please visit us at patreon.com forward slash the Old Church Podcast. See you there ba ba da 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 da